What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hollywood Already Did It, your weekly movie podcast for remakes, reboots, sequels, adaptations, and the like. Anything that has been done and will be done again. As always, I am your host, Blake Schultz, and with me today is Terrence Tatum. Hello, everyone. And we are recording this on Sunday, March 22nd, 2020, from Los Angeles, California, which means we are in the middle of a bona fide lockdown, which means... (laughs) That we are recording remotely. We are practicing our social distancing. So if the audio quality is less than standard, we apologize. But, you know, we're all making sacrifices, except for the people at spring break. They yeah, don't seem to be making any sacrifices. None. Um, normally, this would have been the week releasing A Quiet Place 2. But obviously that didn't happen. So instead, we're going to do a little retro look back at A Quiet Place 1, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the movie The Hunt, which was released video on demand during its theatrical release in light of every single movie theater that isn't a drive-in being shut down, except, spoiler alert, the drive-in theaters were shut down in L.A. today. So if you (laughs) thought you had a bad run of it, try having a business model from 1962. Thinking you had a window of opportunity and it's taken away from you. <laughs> right. Terrence, how is your self-isolating going? Are you having your, I feel like you and I both do enough at home stuff anyways that we're like, ah, it's fine. I, I know. I was like, I, it was weird because people have been going through this word of introvert, extrovert. And I feel like I'm an introvert who likes to do extrovertish things, but I'm perfectly fine. Like you give me my Animal Crossing and let me watch whatever DVD or Netflix streaming I have. I'm good to go. <laughs> yep, it has not really bothered me yet. My only real concern is when Amazon will start sending groceries again, I would like to just hit three buttons and have things arrive. <laughs> just show up to my place, please. Yep. Um, so good, good. I'm glad everyone's doing fine and is safe. Uh, let's get started with this, I guess. Uh, a Quiet Place. It's going to be a little bit different. First, we're going to kind of go over some of the history with the movie obviously it came out it feels like it came out a lot longer ago but it was like a year and a half it does feel Uh, like forever ago yeah so we rewatched it on like day three of self-isolation in my apartment (laughs) and i think immediately what we all kind of noticed was whenever they did the day whatever day 482 we were all like wow 482 days (laughs) like that small part of the movie that usually just gives you a sense of time of when anything happened became the most impactful thing to see and watch and and feel because suddenly it was like oh well you know this what if this gets to 365 days is it gonna look like obviously there's no asteroid falling and nothing else but that was probably the weirdest part to me i had only seen it the one time in theaters so it was fun It was fun revisiting it in a situation where noise was appropriate because I think when people talk about theater experiences, that one was really fun to me because I saw it alone in a very crowded theater. And like, you know, I had my popcorn and a lot of people had popcorns and sodas and snacks. And like right when it started, everything went still. And I didn't touch my popcorn because I didn't want to ruin the atmosphere. It was one of the few movies that really had this part of the experience was the atmosphere and was being quiet and there were no accidental coughs or hiccups it felt like everybody was very focused on not ruining it for anybody else which is something i think i've seen before 
I definitely remember buying a large drink to watch that film and not drinking a bit of it because my straw was making so much noise. I was like, nope, I am out. I'm going to watch this movie. And you're right. No one wanted to ruin any aspect of that film, which is very rare at a theater. I mean, we're both avid movie theaters. People typically don't give a damn. Yeah. And that, and it was also definitely a movie that I think I was hesitant to revisit because I didn't know if it would have really the same impact on a smaller screen in an apartment where I can, like, get up and get orange juice or whatever it right. is you enjoy during your films. Or without an audience. Finish. Yeah. And it's still fantastic. The movie is great. It's a, really a testament to John Krasinski's... <clears throat> It's his third directed movie, his first for a major studio. And I think there's a lot of credit to him with just the atmosphere and how it feels and how it's shot. And even small things, when I was researching for this episode, I, I learned that all of these sound effects from like dice rolling and things falling were shot on set in complete silence. It's all diegetic audio. And they crank oh, wow. it up in post. So everything you were hearing was captured on the set on site rather than it being one of those weird surprises where it's like to make a motorboat, you have to tickle a duck's stomach because a <laughs> motorboat sounds too much like a jet engine on film. Uh, like those kind of silly moments don't really exist. This is all like getting as close to the dice as you can with a microphone and rolling it and then taking that audio in post and, amplifying as much as you can to really i think make any sense of noise quadruple when you get to it yeah i uh i watched it again today via amazon prime and they have it on there for free um so if you haven't seen it you should but i watched it on there and there's scenes in it like i i also only saw it the one time and this is the first second time that i watched it and i was like this is still really really <laughs> maybe it's some of it because we're in this sort of apocalyptic world as we speak so it kind of is like oh this hits a little closer to home i don't know if that's it but there was a scene um where we op this movie opens just like in media res of whatever the heck they're going through but they lose a child at the very beginning of this film and you're like whoa wait what is this what we're starting with yeah i, I like that choice a lot because it, it i think very quickly shows you what you're sort of in for and what the monsters do and how they act and kind of the implications of it. I know uh, John Krasinski said he was actually originally drawn to the movie because he was having his second child with Emily Blunt. And he was actually brought into the movie because he felt like it really amplified what it's like taking care of kids and the wrongs and rights of parenting and the mistakes you're going to make. And it's interesting to start the movie with that mistake right. and kind of crank up, I think, the stakes of what it means to take care of kids and focus and, on them. Because then for the rest of the movie, that kind of defines the childbirth and the daughter and the son's relationship with him is this one moment of failure and how the entire family reacts to it throughout this. Correct. I mean, like I was just watching it in this, there's a scene when the son, he's taking the son off to the trip, but the daughter actually wants to go. And it's a parent's decision, but he's making the saying, no, you can't go, you can go. And the mom is just sitting there like, listen to your dad. This is what he says to do, you gotta do it. And daughter just goes off and becomes like the typical teenager, I'm gonna run away. And you're like, oh, this is fascinating because within this crazy horror movie, there's this 
small family drama that I am just captivated by. And you need that for a lot of horror movies because otherwise it's just a rinse and repeat. To do something a little different with a little family aspect, I'm like, that is what hooked me into this. Yeah, well, it's the human relationships that I think make a horror movie like this that's going to have a lower body count. There aren't going to be a lot of gruesome deaths and big slasher moments because there are only four people throughout the majority of the movie. So the stakes really do have to be more centered around the noise that happens with childbirth and the every moment has to really matter. So to do that and push these kids on their own adds to the, the horror and the drama because there's only so many times that you can film John Krasinski, almost drops something, catch it and be like, oh, it's okay, right. caught it. Like you can't... <laughs> And they do that beat a lot where something falls and it almost hits the ground and you can only do that trick so many times before you do need a little bit of something else. And I think that's why the movie kind of takes these good breaks from the horror to like go to the waterfall and mm -hmm. see what that's like. Or uh, even the scene where he's listening to music with Emily Blunt, which is really just from him and Pam in the office in season two. It's very familiar. So... <laughs> I don't know if that's because it's John Krasinski or if it's because it's shot the same way, but when we rewatched this time, a part of me was very much like, ah, John, I see what you did. It worked in season two, and damn it, it worked here. You son of a bitch. Yeah. Um, so for all we know, he stole Emily Blunt from somebody before this whole thing really happened. That's like day negative 30 of this. Right. <laughs> I think yeah. it's, it's, you know, interesting, and it, it makes kind of the, you know, the spoiler moment even bigger when you're thinking of, of this movie in terms of what parents will do for their kids and the lengths they'll go to, to keep them alive. And, right. you know, watching him make that self-sacrifice every time is just so incredible. And it's, it's funny watching, you know, Jim from the office do it because I think that's a show we've rewatched so much that it is hard to see him, as just John Krasinski. And that was one of the few moments where I think you really saw the actor and not just it's, the guy's face. It's so weird because um, at the time that I watched this, all that I had for Krasinski was The Office. Um, but this weekend, I've as in isolation, I've been watching Jack Ryan on Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan. So watching that and then watching this, I'm like, oh, Krasinski, I see what you're doing here. I, li I like this trajectory you're on because you're you're doing some some cool things, and I'm, I'm all apart. So now I, it doesn't seem so much of a shocker to me to see that. But yes, at that point in time, it was like I did not expect to see this type of uh, acting out of John Krasinski. No, I don't think anybody did. I think everyone really thought we were going to see a, you know, The Office in a horror movie for a while. But yeah, it, just so good at it, and I think part of that too is you know he really did do his homework when you start at kind of the the history of this script scott beck and brian woods were trying to get this passed along for a long time and they finally got it to paramount and even them in the writing they grew up like on a farmland and with grain silos and in this kind of environment and i think that's what makes it all feel kind of real and tangible is like anybody who kind of puts their own dna into a movie you can feel that and see it. And there's nothing that feels like hokey about it. There's never a moment where you kind of don't believe that something could happen. You really do feel the weight of that world. And you can tell that this is kind of how all the rules of it operate and work without the need for that. In the same way, when people who grew up in cities are like, this is how the city feels. And you can 
tell rather than it being like New York feels like a suburb in this Iron Man movie because the guy who wrote it grew up in a suburb and <laughs> right. doesn't really get... it's the difference between like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man and Spider-Verse when you're like why doesn't why doesn't this original movie feel lived in compared to all the other ones and it's like oh well because you know they lived there yeah that's they, like they infused their culture and their life into right. it and they did it. like uh, in no offense to Raimi he's not from that world like at least not within the time that he was making that film he was far removed from being in the heart of New York City right <laughs> uh and then John Krasinski did his homework. He, you know, he talks a lot about the inspirations coming from Alien, which I think if you're making a horror movie with aliens and you don't cite that as a reference, you probably are lying to yourself. And Especially when you're I, using sound and, and silence. It's like that's a huge part of what that Alien movie was about. <laughs> so, yes. Right. When you kind of use that in the same way and even the way the creatures kind of move and are revealed to you, you're sort of putting together how it looks until the climax of the movie when you get to kind of see the whole thing, which either works for you or doesn't. How did you feel about the the creatures in this movie? It's funny. I kind of like how I felt with the village. I was more akin to being freaked out of what I was creating in my brain than when they showed it all to me. The the most that I was I would have I was still creeped out is when the young girl is playing with her earpiece and like the audience realizes that her earpiece is not having an effect on them. That I was fine if that's all we saw as far as just the top half of them. Once they got to the end and showed the whole thing, I was like, oh well, you kind of show me. The wizard behind the the, the curtain. I, I don't. I'm not now as interested as I was before. Yeah, I you know I liked it a lot more the second time when I think I knew what I was gonna get because I had just sort of finished playing. It's a much older game than the movie even is now, but I just finished playing The Last of Us, which was also sound based monsters. So a lot of the tricks that it was doing kind of to me, I don't think it was ripping anything off. I think you can make you know as many of these type of things as you want right. uh, and, and go for it. But then even kind of seeing it realized a part of me was like, oh, cool. It's like the last of us creatures in a demigorgon from Stranger Things put together. <laughs> it really isn't until you kind of start looking at it through the eyes of what it does and how it uses sound and you feel more like it's evolved to need that. And when it kind of opens up and you see all the, I don't know, soft goo inside. Yeah. There was no art book that explained the anatomy of these creatures. Uh, that's when it really started working more for me. And I, I, I did like them a lot more the second time because they are very cool looking things. And when you get they're up a, close to it, it's... They're fascinating to look at. But they're also... I almost feel like, though, that they do... They work better when they are in shadows. Like the spot of one of them climbing up the wall while uh, Emily Blunt's in the bathtub is just creepy. And I think that's when it's at its best. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they evolve them in the sequel that we'll see one day. But One day. So, I mean, kind of some of the other, like, interesting things, I mean, in terms of the box office, they spent, the, the budget was $17 million, and they spent all of it locally, which I didn't know, which means that, like, you know, they shot in... Uh, Duchess and Ulster counties of upstate New York, and they hired local farmers to grow all of that corn and everything else they were using. So oh, wow. that's part of the budget was to kind of make this world feel and look as real and tangible as they could without doing much of 
anything else, which I think is great because then they give that, all this work to these people. Yeah, so like they're giving work to people that normally wouldn't have it. That's pretty dope. I like that. Yeah, and they um, the only reason the movie actually has a score was because John Krasinski wanted audience to stay familiar with a mainstream film and keep mainstream audiences in it. He didn't want people to get turned off by the idea of it being a silent movie or feeling like a silent movie experience. He wanted you to still kind of be hooked into how movies are made now. Yeah. Which I didn't really think about watching the movie, but it's an interesting choice. It really means that at one point they were thinking about just straight up not having any sound at all. Silent, which I... I can see both sides. I understand if you want to do it in an artistic way and like, oh, we we want to do this. But Krasinski was like, look, the bottom line is also still to make money off of this. We will lose audiences or audiences will tune out. We've talked about this before in previous episodes. If you have something that's in black and white, sometimes audiences just shut down. If you have something that's in, oh, what we quote unquote old time, no sound or silent film, they're going to be like, no, that's not for me. So I think it's the right choice to have made. I would watch a black and white cut of this movie now that you've said that. That is something that I Ooh. <laughs> would be very cool. I'm like, oh, well, now I, now I kind of want to see that. Uh, something else that I thought was fun, speaking of the marketing for this movie, its second trailer premiered during Super Bowl 2018. I don't know how to read the Roman New- the the L in two lines. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Super Bowl before the movie came out. <laughs> Uh, it was shown alongside Red Sparrow's trailer in the pregame and had both the lowest views and the lowest social conversation around it when it was done, leading them to project lower, yeah. uh, which I thought was kind of interesting that it just I don't know how common that is. You know, sports better than me is the pregame ads just like never seen. And that's part of the issue. Or did they because I guess aired, that, uh, this aired. You're saying this aired pregame, so before the game. Typically, anything that happens before the, the the coin flip, no one is really watching. I would say you you will have some avid fans who just watched all Super Bowl stuff the entire day, but most people don't typically cut their TVs on until the national anthem is played. And so I, they used money that they probably didn't really need to, but I wouldn't have looked at that that number too heavily because I don't think the numbers before a pregame, the stuff, the sweet, the sweet spot is in the middle of probably second quarter. That's when you have the most eyes on you. So yeah. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Cause I, I just thought that was crazy that it took that long for the word of mouth to get going. But then sure enough, it made 19 million on its first day. Uh, and then, you know, unlike other horror movies that are more front-loaded, where they'll make all their money on Friday and then drop, it made $19.1 million on the first Saturday and went on to make $50 million its first weekend domestically. It came in second place in its second weekend. I can't remember what was first. I didn't write it down. Uh, but it only had a 34% drop as opposed to the 50% most horror movies have bounced back up to number one its third weekend and then was second to Infinity War in its fourth weekend. So it went Ram- on to be huge. Uh, Rampage was the, was the uh, what Rampage was number one during Rampage. its second weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. The Rock came in and took it out. <laughs> and um, now they're in a movie again. Well, back. that'll never be released. And, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty incredible to stick around against those two like big tent poles and became a huge win for Paramount and a huge win for, I think, everybody involved. Um, 
I think in terms of why it's still relevant, we've kind of already touched on these themes of taking care of families and kids. And I, and I think that's why the older you get, the more this movie will be relevant. I think when you watch it younger, you relate more to the kids and you see this self-sacrifice from the father that'll hit you. But then eventually one day, you, you know, the, the father and the silver spoon, <laughs> and then you're dying for your children. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that that's why it had some backlash, apparently not much, but a lot of people thought that it had pro conservative viewpoints with like how gun centric it was. But I feel like that's people really trying to be like the guns because you know, it's the apocalypse. (laughs) I would say the world is ending. You should have a gun. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, a lot of people are having that conversation. Look at right now. I was like, that's happening now. <laughs> it's a terrifying thing. Uh, so now, I guess really quickly, are you excited for the sequel? or are you? I, I didn't really feel like it was needed. So to me, they kind of have to prove their worth. Yeah, I'm sort of in the same boat with you. I think the, the I like this movie almost 99.9%. The one part that I did not like was the shotgun thing at the very end. It was like, cool, Thanks. sequel. And I was like, oh, that was guys. Michael Bay's Platinum Dune signature to have this yeah. sudden like action movie beat and be like, yeah, we're going to get them at the end. Yeah. And so that, that another kind thing of that didn't me. bother me as much the second time, but it didn't bother me as much the second time, maybe because I, I am all I have fixed my brain to understand that there is a second one. But at that point in time, I was like, oh, come oh come on. Um, so I didn't really want a second one. What I have seen through the trailers and the fact that it. I'm a sucker for any movie that picks up right after the previous one. Like that's a way to get me in. I'm like, ah, shit. I, all right, I'm in. Fine. <laughs> I just always get concerned when movies that are really original and cool continue on that it'll just sort of devolve into the genre that it is. Like whenever we get a new and interesting superhero movie, the next one just feels like a superhero movie. And I don't want this to just feel like the walking dead or another apocalypse monster type thing or even the last of us so i'm i'm curious what they'll do to keep that originality and that kind of panic in place because you are by the nature of it adding more people and you're building the world and i don't know maybe we'll just see a world that doesn't need to be saved speaking Mm -hmm. of a world that doesn't need to be saved (laughs) we're now going to talk about a movie that needed to be saved so many times so many uh the Hunt is finally something we can watch. If you're unfamiliar with it, uh, a quick little history of it. It was a Blumhouse horror, satire, political thriller, commentary, too many commas in the genre department for my taste. A lot of horror comedy that's politically relevant uh, about people hunting other people for sport. The movie was supposed to come out about a year and a half ago, about a year ago, rather, and it originally... Uh, got delayed due to mass shootings. The studio deemed that it was inappropriate to release it at that time. Then Donald Trump tweeted, and I have the tweet here. Ah, Liberal Hollywood is racist at the highest level with great anger and hate. And then a lot of other people were like, yeah, don't release the hunt. The liberals are saying that we're the bad guys in it. And then Universal pulled it from their schedule entirely. (laughs) Only to crank up a whole new marketing campaign in the first quarter of this year declaring that you should go see the movie that no the most talked about movie of last year was one nobody had seen and now they you have your chance they even and had the original date frost off in the thing and then covid19 <laughs> happened damn it uh, man 
leading to the most, the lowest box office in 22 years. Uh, nothing did well. Bloodshot, The Hunt, Onward at its second weekend, everything, The Way Back with Ben Affleck. Leading this movie did not have any real prevalence until Blumhouse made the decision to, while we are all self-isolating and quarantining, to release that along with The Invisible Man and other Universal movies like Trolls World Tour on video on demand for rental and a new fun experiment that I candidly love. Uh, so here we are. The movie yeah. also was, it's rumored that it was originally called Red State versus Blue State and Universal has gone on record many times to say that's never the case. It was a script that was ba- passed around for quite some time. Nobody else wanted to do it because of the political ideologies in the movie until Blumhouse and Universal said, fuck the police, let's do it. And here we are. With the, the writer for this season of The Watchmen, which is great. David man. Lindelof. Yes. Showing up <laughs> like a man. Yeah. What'd you think? I had a damn fun time. This movie has that weird, twisted, sick sense of humor that just gets me. Um, it was weird, though, because I sat through this movie, and we'll probably get into this a little bit, but I've sat through this film saying, I love this, but I've seen this movie done so many times before that I was kind of like, I've seen this. Like, Ice-T was in a movie, like, Surviving the Game. The most like Van Dam was in Surviving the Game. Hard, Hard Target was one with Van Damme. I was like, I've seen this being done before. Even hell, even Ready or Not sort of fits into this this world where someone's hunting the the more privileged, hunting the less privileged. Um, <coughs> all that said, I still had a thoroughly good time. A lot of it, most of it, is all hinging on Betty Gilpin. Like she is phenomenal in this movie. Like just some of the word, the way she delivers lines. I burst out laughing when she shot somebody in the face and said, bitch. I was like, what is happening? This woman is amazing to me. She made well, I, I, I loved it. I, I loved every moment of it. I'm with you, though. It, it's interesting to see a movie uh, that is so clearly... It's not a remake of anything, but it pulls so, so heavily. Unlike, you know, when we talked about A Quiet Place and it pulls from... No Country from Old Men and Alien and In the Room, but it, it's not like a one-to-one of that. This is very much a like one-to-one idea of we've captured people and we're going to hunt them for sport or money or whatever and class systems and everything else. I think the twist in it that I won't spoil here and kind of what that's saying is what makes the movie very original and different when you kind of get to that third act surprise of what they're actually doing and why they're doing it. Yeah. is such a brilliant reveal and i think it speaks a lot to what's going on today quite literally today yeah. when i go online and read something and maybe it's right maybe it isn't maybe we made it true by talking about it like we're and giving power that, to words and, and yeah. narratives uh, you don't have a clear answer at the very end it kind of fits in with it was like yeah who's right or wrong who they may or may or not have been you could have been gaslighting you may not have been i love how the way that this the third act of this film kind of puts it, sets it aside and puts it up on a level that I wasn't expecting. I'm a big sucker too for making fun of both sides of the coin. There's a lot of the, the why both extremes of liberal and conservative kind of viewpoints right now are problematic for lack of a better word. And, you know, kind of examining both sides of that and how everybody's reacting to it is great. 
I love the kind of false positive of the openings of which character are we going to follow and them just getting taken off the board. I really, really hope that that's what Suicide Squad 2 does with all these stars. I was flabbergasted. (laughs) I adored that because I'm like, oh, Emma Roberts is here. Oh, crap. (laughs) Oh, I guess we're going to follow Ike Barinholtz for a while. (laughs) No. (laughs) uh, I thought that was just a great way to kind of build the world and kind of keep us guessing and I'm a sucker for a good combination of horror and comedy. The action in this movie is really on point. The comedy is really on point. Yeah. Uh, the, I the loved scene, it. The scene between um, Betty and Hillary at the end in the kitchen where they're just talking felt very like Quentin Tarantino-esque with the dialogue back and forth. I was like, oh, this is, this is my wheelhouse. I love this. Um, yeah, no. And that fight scene was brutal. <laughs> right. And it's... You know, it's also interesting because we we talk a lot about why a movie should be made today and why it's relevant. And this is really just such a good timestamp of the last decade and this current decade of, you know, what can we... There's a whole scene of like, well, you know, the the black people. You can't say that. They're African-Americans. Well, NPR said I could say black. Well, NPR is a bunch of white people. And it's... It's those kind of conversations and sort of watching people who clearly aren't doing or saying anything bad and then having somebody kind of be like, well, what you're doing is bad. And this, they can't even agree on what's right. And then kind of watching the people that they're hunting also not be able to kind of get along and sort of the dividing ends of everybody's politics that you can get anybody on any spectrum, but eventually you'll find kind of where they don't agree and where they really land. Yep. I thought it was great. Cause you know, it, everyone says something and there's always somebody to be like, no, that's I incorrect. Agree with you. Yeah. The way they're doing the media with, Oh, everybody has a podcast about manor gates and how we're pushing all of that into the world and how quickly they took a text message and created an entire narrative and conspiracy around it it's, that did yeah. ruin five people's lives. It's funny. It reminds me of kind of like, I mean, this happens multiple accounts, but like the whole, like Kevin Hart's old tweets being brought up and then they blasted that and then they broadcasted that and he lost everything. I'm like, yeah, you can't take something that's so small as what the just small message and be like, all right, cool. Now I'm going to destroy your life. <laughs> yeah. And really watching this whole setup of who you can and can't trust. Cause it, I even every now and then was like, oh, well, they said that train wasn't supposed to stop. These are probably really are refugees and they're really here. And that it's no, actually, the country that you think you're in isn't the country that they're in. And even the state that they now think that it just kept having all of these very clever ways to kind of keep you guessing at what was really happening. And then even at the end, you aren't that sure of where they are. Like, it feels very isolated in its own way. Yeah. It is a shame that even with the uh, nerfed box office, I guess, it did come in fifth place behind Onward, Bloodshot, The Way Back, and whatever else was in its second weekend. So yeah. it seems like even with a low box office, it made $5.3 million. There wasn't that big of an interest, and I don't know if that's because people don't want to do something like this or if they really do feel like oh well we're no matter which side of the political spectrum you're on someone's going to tell you that you're the villain in this movie and they're not going to be wrong and i wonder if that's turning people off 
Yes, I don't know. Like the moving, it's a lot happening. The moving dates, the the COVID nineteen. But I do think some of it too was like in the advertisement, they weren't really clear into what side they were lampooning, and oh, for good reason because they're not lampooning one side or the other. But because they're doing it in the middle, people were kind of like, I don't know if this is for me or anti me. So I'm just going to sit this one out, um, and that sucks because I think it's if you go in. This movie is for the middle ground people, the, the, the moderates who are kind of like, yeah, some of the stuff that those progressives do is BS. Some of those people, stuff that the liberals do are is BS. Um, but I don't know if people want that in film form right now. Right. Yeah, it's a shame. But, you know, I think it's great. I think right now, I, I don't know that there's any numbers on how the renting is going or how any of that stuff is. Um, it's a weird thing. Track that. I don't think there's a way to track that. And also, this is why I always, I'm sort of, this is why we'll never see any of the big films probably on VOD. But I think it's a weird thing with VOD because once you release it to VOD, this case is being rented, but sometimes they're being bought. But once it's put online, you then open up the window for pirating and it becomes very hard to track the pirating. You don't, those numbers don't matter anymore. So people are now watching this without having to be like, I have to watch this in this one way. And that's my only issue with VOD because then you lose time, sort of, you can't quite quantify how well your film is doing because people are now watching this quote unquote illegally. Right. It's also an interesting thing to spend. And I, we already kind of do it, right? Like you spend what $20 at a movie theater to see the movie and then you don't own it. But it is such a different perception to spend $20 on video and then not own it. Like I, I think there's some sort of almost training for uh, consumers that needs to happen with that because we're, yes, like, we're so used to, we're buying an experience when we go to the theater, but I think people, if they spend $20 in their home, want to own it. The idea that it's going to vanish in 48 hours and then one day the same file will be available to you on the same platform for $25 forever is, we're suddenly kind of seeing the cracks in the distribution problems I think that Hollywood already has where... It, it is the only type of entertainment that you don't own the first time you see it. I own Correct. music when I buy it. I own video games when I buy it. I own books and comics and I download podcasts. And a movie theater is the only place where I go. And then later on, they ask me to double dip to own it. <laughs> yeah. And I think oh. now that's even clearer now when we go, hey, rent this movie for 20 bucks and in six months, own it for 30 you will have spent $50 on it. And it's such a weird time to do this or to put that, try to change the way that people think when a lot of people aren't working or laid off. It's like the timing of this is a bit bizarre because you're like, cool, still spend the 20 bucks even though you might not be working for the next five weeks. Um, yeah, I mean, I like that they're doing it and offering it to people. I, I think it's a good idea. I don't, there's really no good way of doing anything right now. No. Like it's- because I, I know even kind of the conversation with The Rise of Skywalker was, well, that got released early, but like I already give you $6.99 a month, Disney Plus. Just put it on your service. Right. So we're, we're sort of now seeing this bizarre release model without theaters and like being able to go buy a Blu-ray. You really are kind of seeing we, we release a product three times effectively in theaters at home and on Blu-ray, and then we stream it. And the price gets cheaper the longer you wait. It's weird but too now, because now like just do it. It's weird too because now it feels like I mean, 
we have three different business models happening at the same time. Like we have the Hunt, Invisible Man, and Emma, who are like 20 bucks to rent. And then we have the Way Back and Birds of Prey this week and Bloodshot this week will be $20 to buy and you'll own it. And then you'll have Disney Plus doing with Onward, like 20 bucks to buy, to, to buy or rent this week. And then in two weeks, we'll have it on Disney Plus. You're like, wait, what? Is there any rhyme or reason to any of this other than the fact that all of you are saying just drop 20 bucks? Yeah, I don't think they, I don't think the studios know which way will be profitable and which way consumers will actually do, um, especially when we're kind of in the early days of streaming wars, of everybody having a platform. So there's also that question of, Will you sign up for eight more things or should the hunt go on Shutter and uh, the Invisible Man go on Netflix and everything Disney go on Disney Plus? And it, <clears throat> I don't really know what the answer is. I don't either. But I know that I liked the hunt. <laughs> yes. Um, I also think this is a hard business model to test because most people before the quarantine started, Invisible Man had done so in the box office. A lot of people had already seen invisible man so they're like yeah, i'm not I'm paying like, to rent that right. yeah you're filling in the cracks of the people who didn't see it like my mom today was like i think we'll rent the invisible man and i was like great it's very good <laughs> right. uh, i gave you the 20 dollars premium i'm ready to just own it i want it like, now right <laughs> it, it's so strange and even like blood bloodshots to own on march 24th yeah. right that's yeah, so bizarre exactly. So is and then will to spread. rent it be cheaper? Can I then rent it cheaper if I don't buy it? Because then you're going to rent then, something on VOD if I also have the option to buy it's cheaper. So why not put the hunt out to own for 20 bucks and have me rent it for five? Exactly. <laughs> like this, these numbers don't make sense. <laughs> oh, what a time. Yeah. Well, I think that'll about do it for us. Uh, you can obviously follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hollywood slash groups slash, hold on, facebook.com slash groups slash Hollywood already did it. You can follow us on Twitter at Hollywood ADI, Instagram at Hollywood already did it. I'm at, as always, Blake Terrence is at Terrence Tatum. We do another show called One More Drink. And of course, leave us a review on iTunes and we will see you next week. We'll be remote for the time being uh the internet held for the entire time so it is certainly something we can do we will see you next time later